You are listening to National Security Law Today. Welcome to National Security Law Today, the podcast of the American Bar Association Standing Committee on Law and National Security. I am Nicole, a member of the committee staff. The Standing Committee is comprised of seasoned national security lawyers and law professors and has spent the past 55 years keeping lawyers and the public informed and aware of the most pressing questions in national security law. This week's episode comes from a live event with Joyce Carell, the Assistant Director of the Supply Chain and Cyber Directorate at the National Counterintelligence and Security Center. The talk is titled, The Internet of Things and Supply Chain, The Next Generation of Vulnerabilities in National Security. Judge James Baker, the chair of our very own standing committee, introduces her. To hear the Q&A at the end of her talk, visit our website at AmericanBar.org slash NatSecurity. During the podcast, you can find links to the Black Letter Law and articles on today's topic at AmericanBar.org slash NatSecurity and in the notes to this podcast. At the end of this podcast, please drop us a note at NationalSecurity at AmericanBar.org, on Twitter at ABANATSEC, or on our Facebook page. We welcome your feedback. Um, I'm Jamie Baker. I'm the chair of the Standing Committee on Law and National Security. Uh, welcome. Um, it is my uh, pleasure and honor to introduce our uh, guest this afternoon. With uh, 5G, IoT, ZTE, it's a poem. Uh, It's not out of Jabberwocky, it's out of real life. Uh, But it tells us that um, supply chain issues are very much part of today's national security fabric, as well as today's news. Um, I read in a study uh, just last night that uh, uh, iPods, Uh, are sourced from suppliers in the United States, Japan, Taiwan, and South Korea, assembled in plants in China run by Taiwanese corporations before they pass through distribution centers in South and Central America. So no issues there. Uh, Very secure passage. Uh, Hopefully we get all our Marine Corps equipment that way as well. That, that's uh, why I'm so happy that Joyce agreed to come talk to us today. Joyce Carell is the Assistant Director, Supply Chain Directorate of the National Counterintelligence and Security Center. Um, that's the end of her bio. Uh, there, there is a reference here to having served 23 years at the NSA, and this is one of my favorite bio entries ever. Uh, Ms. Correll spent a significant portion of her career focused on various aspects of defensive and offensive computer network operations. Okay, well now you know everything. Uh, But she is an expert in her field. Uh, She also grew up as a foreign service officer brat uh, and has lived all over the world. Um, And it's a real pleasure to have you here. She's going to speak for about 20 minutes and then uh, take a Q&A for as long as you wish. Well into the evening, if you would like. Uh, but as always, we would ask if you would please identify yourself before asking a question. So thank you very much. Thank you, Joyce. 
Good afternoon. Thank you for having me here. Um, I, I very much appreciate being here. Um, so I was invited by Harvey Rishikoff, who I've known for quite some time. I met him when I went to the National War College, and he was on the faculty there, and, and uh, he would um, you know, represent us for a dollar if we needed uh, any kind of counsel there. Um, so, so Harvey asked me, <laughs> but he's more expensive for others. Yeah. Um, so, so I want to say a, a little bit, a little more introduction um, of who, who I am and sort of where I, I work in government and how I, you know, um, my role across the executive branch. Um, and then um, talk a little bit about um, uh, IoT and supply chain risk management. And we don't have IoT without the rollout of 5G. So a little discussion in that context. Um, there are some of you who you know live and breathe in this space you know regularly, um, so it might be familiar, old hat to you. Um, but um, the focus on supply chain risk management is sort of an emerging discipline um, from uh, many quarters, whether it's from the government perspective, and in some cases it's um, it's a new area of focus for some people in the private sector. Um, it's a topic that's getting more and more attention on the Hill. Uh, there's a lot of interest in different congressional committees um, taking some action. Um, last year, um, uh, some of the uh, action that we saw on the Hill was um, uh, uh, exemplified in the National Defense Authorization Act, where there are about 20, 20 different tasks for the Department of Defense and friends of the Department of Defense. You know, there are some agencies that had never seen their name in the National Defense Authorization Act and uh, didn't really know that the NDAA would include OMB and GSA, and so there was a, a little wake-up call for them. Uh, but there's a level of interest on the Hill and an appetite to do something. And I think you see this in, in um, hearings that are occurring right now. House Energy and Commerce just had a, um, uh, the beginning of a series of hearings on supply chain and telecommunications that kicked off um, sometime last week. Um, so I expect that to continue on and that this is a topic for which there's, um, there's no easy answer. It's a complex topic. Um, and, it, and it's just sort of a, a good opportunity to have a chance to come and, and talk with this particular group. Um, I'll try to be um, a little brief with my comments so you have ample time for, for questions. I already have questions in advance. Um, in case anyone is shy, I can go to my <laughs> questions in advance, but I don't think this is a shy crowd. Um, so I'm, I'm in the National Counterintelligence and Security Center, which is um, one of the centers in the um, ODNI. And um, it's only been a center for a few years, so we are, we are a growing organization. Um, my leadership likes to um, use a, um, uh, a train metaphor to say that um, you know, we're on the Acela, so we're, we're constantly improving. Uh, needless to say, anywhere you walk around the building, there's always like a picture of a hand cart, you know, the hand cart and then the Acela to say, well, where are we really, you know, in, in, in the movie? Um, so um, the National Counterintelligence and Security Center actually has government-wide authorities. So we're part of ODNI, which is um, you know, looking across the intelligence community sort of as, as a staff organization, you know, uh, pulling, pulling together the intelligence community from a threat and warning perspective. But we also have uh, authorities that bring us across the government from a counterintelligence perspective and a security perspective. So I, I work with um, uh, many different agencies, um, helping them um, stand up um, their counterintelligence programs or supply chain risk management programs. Um, in the government, this is one, one of those areas um, where um, somebody assumes that someone else has it handled, that somebody else is doing it. Um, the acquisition folks often think that the CIO folks have it handled and that if they procure something, a good or a service, that uh, you know, the CIO community has some kind of technology that'll just fix fix whatever. Uh, the CIO people just you know believe that they can technology their way out of anything, 
Uh, but they also believe the acquisition people do these rigorous, in-depth reviews of vendors and the vendors of vendors and the third parties and all the different complex interactions. So um, there, there tends to be a lack of discussion across government organizations in this space so that it's, it's a nascent area for agencies across the executive branch to um, bring communities and lines of business together that don't normally talk to each other or use the same words in English to mean the same thing. Uh, so there's a, little, there's a little vocabulary and you know, culture dissonance sometimes. Um, I see the same thing in the private sector, where um, sometimes private sector organizations um, uh, you know, that we work with through critical infrastructure, that, that we work with because we're procuring from them, or we work with them from a research perspective, they're developing cutting-edge technology. That there's sometimes a, a, um, a perception that um, uh, they have risk managed, um, and, and there's nothing else they need to do. So this is a sort of cartoonish example, but, I, but I'll, I'll give it you know, for illustrative purposes. So if I, if I go to a, a corporate leader and I say, well, so are you, are you managing your risk? Do you really think you're managing their risk? And say, well, yes, I am. You know, I have this crack CFO you know, who tells me that not only, not only are we generating revenue, I'm making a profit. You know, crack CFO, I got that risk covered. Um, and I have a stable of attorneys. Yeah, so I've got my liability covered as well. Um, and then you ask about operational risk. Were you handling operational risk? Uh, do you actually understand that when you do business with third parties um, or you buy things from different entities and you don't necessarily know the provenance or you know, how um, you know, the, the, the global supply chain, that you may be bringing in some, some risk that you had not anticipated? You know, do you have you know, measures, in places, measures and things in, in place to monitor that risk? Do you even, know, do you even have the tools to have the insight to, to whether you have risk or not. And that, and that, that is a gap in, in um, uh, many different places that, that, that is only now beginning to be addressed in, in a bringing together sort of financial risk, legal risk, and operational risk. So when we think about um, the Internet of Things and the emerging you know, technology do domain, um, IoT is not new. You know, it's, it's here. It's, it's, it, it has arrived. You know, it's not, you know, you know, down the road, you know, it's, um, it's, it's coming, it's not coming to a theater near you, it's here now. Um, and uh, IoT actually, um, Internet of Things actually goes back to the late 90s when um, uh, RFID, radio frequency identification, was um, developed as a way to have sensors in uh, consumer items to be able to have some, uh, some supply chain from a logistics perspective, tracking and asset management. Um, asset management is um, job security when you talk about supply chain and risks we are facing today. So in case uh, you know, you're looking to expand your client base, you know, go to the folks who do asset management. Um, so IoT is, is um, uh, an exciting technology when we think here domestically. Um, about our domestic infrastructure and the evolution of our telecom sector from you know, 4G to 5G and the promise that 5G will bring with um, you know, faster, you know, faster connectivity, more ubiquitous connectivity. Um, there will be sensors everywhere. You know, it won't just be um, uh, you know, work, workforce productivity issues. You'll be able to you know, be connected everywhere with all kinds of new things. You know, people have smart homes where they're able to connect all kinds of devices in their house uh, you can have a smart meter manage your energy consumption. And the, the promise of that type of connectivity is, is exciting for a lot of people, uh, but it's highly dependent upon the rollout of, a, of an infrastructure that supports this. So from a risk management perspective, when we think about um, the emerging technology, we, we need to embrace the technology but do it with our eyes open and make sure that we are actually 
um, managing the risk and approaching how we manage the risk. When you, um, if you do research on IoT and you're, and you're looking at the evolution of telecoms, uh, a number of people who are you know, the prognosticators that are you know advising you know you know investors on you know what to invest in, what's the next cool thing. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll talk about um, we'll, we'll talk about IoT and uh, uh, we'll talk about cybersecurity. You know because everyone has has been burned by. Um, you know, some device that they have at home that doesn't really work and, you know, you didn't update the operating system and your kid downloaded an app and you don't know what's on the system and you're trying to watch a movie and it's just not downloading and you have to call customer, customer help and, you know, by the time you get any assistance, you know, the, the movie's already come and gone. So very frustrating. I myself am a very poor system, I'm a very mediocre system administrator at home. And I don't want to be a system administrator at home. So I, uh, my preference is to, you know, have a home where everything actually functions. You know, uh, so so that's sort of an attitude that breeds a um, rip and replace mindset. You know, if I have a smart toaster and it doesn't work, I take the dumb toaster. So um, the prognosticators they talk about um, IoT and they talk about um, cybersecurity and and what's important in the space. And a lot of folks are saying we have a very, very short window of time in which to actually um, uh, get cybersecurity principles in place and get IoT right. And I wanted to read a quick quote from, uh, from a report from the President's National Security Telecommunications Advisory Committee, the NSTAC. Some of you may be familiar with this. Um, so they, they did a study on IoT and emerging technologies. This is the President's advisory body on, on telecommunications. So, you know, thought leaders in industry come together and, and, uh, and then task other people to, to do the work. So, so, so they, looked at, they looked at IoT um, and, uh, you know, the, the evolution of the telecommunications environment and said, a small and rapidly closing window exists to ensure IoT is adopted in a way that maximizes security and minimizes risk. And then, and then the, sort of like the death sentence. If the country fails to do so, it will be coping with the consequences for generations. Right, that doesn't sound very good. Um, so, so, um, so, how do we how do we think through how do we think through telecommunications? How do we think through the change of technology? And then, from sort of a supply chain risk management perspective, what do we do about that? So, I'm going to talk about a couple a couple of the technology um, uh, technology rollout that's coming down the road right now, and it's being rolled out here domestically and you know, around the world. So, the, the um, 5G, the fifth generation of the telecoms evolution, is going to include a concept called software-defined networking um, and accompanying that network function uh, virtualization. So it sounds like a lot of you know, word garbage. Um, but from a telecommunications perspective, what software-defined networking does is it de decouples the control of the network from the rest of the functioning of the network. So... Uh, it provides more efficiency, so you can set up a network, ad hoc networks in lots of different places. So the evolution of the technology by using software to um, configure your network, um, you are not tied to the hardware, specific hardware that you've produced. So if you're a big telecoms company and you're looking at capital investment and you're buying you know, these big, huge switches that cost a lot of money, um, you know, not being tied to specialized hardware is a very attractive thing. So the use of software is, is very appealing, and the flexibility that software gives you is very appealing. Um, and the fact that um, network function virtualization also gives you some remove from the hardware um, as well. So lots of flexibility. So in theory, in theory, um, having this flexibility 
should allow one to more effectively roll out cybersecurity in a very broad way. Um, that, that's also um, uh, on the, you know, a, a parallel to this, a, a concern with this is, is sort of the analogy, you know, having all your eggs in one basket. So if you have, um, uh, if you've decoupled the control plane, suddenly that makes the control plane a, a sweet spot from a targeting perspective. So if you can access the control of a network um, to uh, have it do your bidding, um, that, is, that is where you will be able to achieve what it, what it is you want to achieve. So our adversaries are certainly going to be looking at you know, these areas of, of technology to pursue uh, very aggressively. So, so there's always um, uh, you know, left hand, right hand, you know, pros and cons of all your eggs in one basket. If all your eggs are in one basket, then you can put all of your resources watching that basket. Um, if your resources are distributed, um, well, you know, an, an advantage to that is if you lose one resource, you still have all your remaining resources. So the pros and cons to centralization and decentralization. So, so these, are, these are sort of the kind of core, core concepts to worry about. Um, and when we think about supply chain risk management, uh, we have to worry about those core functions in the network and who the suppliers are for those core functions, and, and how, how, how do we think this through? Because it's, it's a, globalized, a globalized environment. Um, so we have to bring, um, when we talk to folks across the government from a defensive perspective, um, uh, we try to present the concept of integrated risk reduction. So, so you need to reduce your risk. It's always gonna be a risk environment. Um, when we talk to folks in the acquisition community, this is where we find a, a little bit of a difference in lexicon and, and how people use the English language in so many different ways. Um, when we talk to folks in acquisition who talk about risk, they talk about um, managing cost, schedule, and performance. And if, if they can really hew, hew to the line in managing cost, schedule, and performance, and, and you know, they will do trade-offs in those spaces to, to achieve their objectives, if you have someone who can do that really well, that person is, is worth their weight in gold. Um, this is the person you want running large programs, people who can manage that. Um, but from a counterintelligence, from a national security perspective, when we think about cost, schedule, and performance, we're actually concerned about performance. You know, will an item function the way it's supposed to function? Um, or will it come with extra functionality? Or, or will it fail when you need it, to, need it to perform? So when we think of risk from a national security perspective, we translate that equation to actually thinking about threat, vulnerability, and consequence. So, uh, so one, of the, one of the questions I was prepped with was, who do we think are you know, the threat actors and what does a threat landscape look like? So, so threat is really, um, you know, um, uh, understanding threat is um, an understanding of an adversary's intentions and an adversary's capabilities. So many of you probably you know, read, um, you know, in any kind of news feed, um, lots of coverage of cyber hacks. Um, it's, it's impossible to keep up and, and stay current on all of the different cyber exploitation activities that are going on. You know, it's, um, uh, uh, it's, a, it's a growth business. Um, so when we think of it about an adversary's intentions and capabilities, it's a dynamic environment. And from a defensive perspective, you will never have exquisite information on what the adversary can do. A lot of people would, would um, uh, like to have threat information, and there are a lot of companies out there in the private sector that now provide threat intelligence, and they get information from, from their clients, you know, lots of forensic data uh, from, from their clients to, to be able to develop this you know, threat intelligence picture, and they share information in a very robust way and are able to develop a picture of an adversary uh, to, to lay out their tactics, their techniques, and their procedures. Um, 
but, but we're not always going to have, have perfect intelligence, perfect information. So you have to be able to make decisions in an absence of perfect information. So, so how, do you, how do you kind of navigate this and, and think through? Um, you, you really need a, a, an approach to risk management that brings together multiple, uh, multiple lines of business. So you need your acquisition folks, you need your you know, intelligence folks, your threat intelligence folks, you need your contracting folks, you need your guns, gates, and guards, security folks. You know, they're, they're, they're part of the risk management. Um, you need your corporate leadership. You need, you need your CFO. You know, to understand uh, what 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 um, what resources to bring to bear on managing risk. So it's, a, it's definitely it's definitely a, a, a team sport. Um, so we when we think about threat actors, you know, certainly everybody's read in the press. Um, you know, your your you know name your threat actor: China, Russia, North Korea, Iran. You know, all of these organizations, all of all of these um, uh, countries are are developing you know capability and capacity um, to be able to pursue cyber exploitation. So that, um, and, and I say the word capacity um, with intent. Um, in, in an area where uh, the uh, c- capability to conduct um, cyber exploitation is very dynamic, defending is about capacity building. It's, it's not about um, uh, having that one tool that will thwart that one, one cyber exploit. So you really have to have the capacity and, and the agility to, to be able to respond to, to a changing, a very changing environment. So what, one of the questions in, in the IoT, um, a, a lot of look at uh, cybersecurity or just security in general in IoT, um, there's a, a, a perception that um, the types of devices, many of the devices that are going to be connected from an Internet of Things perspective, are um, uh, you know just um, you know small small sensors. They don't cost a lot of money. Um, they, they don't really have a lot of data processing on them. They don't consume a lot of power. So maybe they don't they don't really need any kind of security. You know, so so they're going to be produced cheaply. They're items that are are um, price sensitive. So um, no one will buy them unless they're actually cheap. So pushing all these sensors out um, and pushing uh, potential vulnerabilities out in a very broad mass market kind of way uh, will create an attack surface that, that is concerning, that is drawing attention to the need to actually build in some core principles at the beginning on how, how, um, how one secures, secures these, these types of devices. When um, uh, a number of people think of IoT and, and, and think about, um, you know, not just cars, you know, autonomous cars. That's kind of like the cool thing. The automotive industry is doing some, you know, fancy testing. You know, you see Google cars out and about. You see things that uh, Tesla is doing. Very exciting. Um, but when you also think about IoT and you think about medical devices and the data on medical devices, whether those are medical devices one uses on an occasional basis or something that is an actual implant in your body, you know, they're... Um, we begin now to start thinking about these things as having a safety, a safety implication to them if they fail in some way. So is it time to begin thinking about um, cybersecurity from a perspective that it's no longer um, uh, something where you just rip and replace it and, the, and um, the, the consequences are light? If the consequences are of a physical nature and, and uh, safety is an issue, we need to think differently Think differently about um, what our you know, regulatory regimes are, what our incentives are um, related to the requirement for cybersecurity. Um, I, I was uh, talking to a colleague at, at, um, at Venable a couple weeks ago who characterized um, all companies as being digital companies. So whether you're, whether you're in the IT business, you're producing IT products, or you're 
providing an IT service, everybody is in a technology business. Everyone is in a digital business. If you don't have, if you're in the private sector and your um, IT system is denied to you, you will you will suffer a a a, a, um, a, a loss. And is the um, is the loss in productivity um, one that is existential or not? Um, uh, the example that I heard before was look look at Maersk. When Maersk suffered their cybersecurity attack, um, uh, leadership of that company you know woke up and said, "Wow, if we suffer suffer another attack like this, we'll be out of business." And that's a global leader. So so um, global companies are digital companies. So 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 one one. One can no longer, you know, outsource um, the the thinking, you know, the thinking about risk in this space to your um, uh, your CTO, your CISO, whatever. So this is a, this is a, a risk problem that the business owns, that a government agency owns, wherever wherever you work, you own the risk at the highest level. You you can't you know um, you can't outsource this or outsource it or, or relegate it to a lower level. And I think we're at a point where we're going to begin to see accountability, uh, accountability for decisions, uh, decisions that get made. So we've, we've had a, um, I, I think a a, um, uh, a period where, uh, as a as a country, we've been looking at um, cybersecurity breach notification. So if you suffered a breach, you know you need to report it. Um, so uh, companies are looking at, you know, how soon do I report this? Who do I tell? Um, how do I tell somebody? Because how I tell people matters. You know, do I do I tell my customers? Who who, who do I talk to? Um, uh, who, I, I talk to my lawyer first. I get, get counsel first. Um, but then, you know, what are the steps that I take next? Uh, we're going to begin to to see that um, uh, it's no longer going to be acceptable to sit on that information for uh, an extended period of time. Years of sitting on this is unacceptable. Uh, months months of sitting on this information is unacceptable. When we live in an environment where you are one patch away from malware, we don't have time to wait for someone to you know, wring their hands and mull over, you know, do I need to notify somebody? So, so that, that's going to shift. That's, that there's going to be a, a shift in, in um, uh, responsibility and, and um, compliance and accountability in that particular perspective. So, so a lot of people um, like to talk about, um, from a cybersecurity perspective, um, uh, building secure standards. And, and the need for secure standards, that's a great place to start, you know, to have um, common principles. Uh, here in the U.S., you know, we have a, um, uh, a, a practice of transparency and um, industry-led standards development, not, you know, government-driven standards development, unless it's a safety standard. Uh, there's a, a role for government there. Um, when, when we rely entirely on, on uh, you know, industry to lead the development of standards, we also tend to rely on industry to show up to the standards bodies' meetings, and they don't. You know, going to going to standards meetings is is not everybody's cup of tea, and government has sort of stepped away from this um, in in the uh, in international environment. Standards are are you know global global in nature in the IT environment. Um, to actually be effective in the standards environment, you actually have to have some street cred. You either have to have invented something so you show up immediately with your street cred and you can have influence in that environment, or you have to roll up your sleeves and work really hard for three years. Not three months, three years. You have to earn your stripes in that environment to have credibility. So standards develop slowly um, and, and require you know, a, a little you know, burning the midnight oil. 
and, and this, is, this is an area where the government has um, assumed industry is sending uh, people, and industry keeps saying, why isn't the government sending people to these standards bodies? Quite frankly, no one gets rewarded for it. You know, the government doesn't promote people that go to standards bodies, and industry doesn't promote people that go to standards bodies. You know, if, you, if you're uh, you know, in the private sector and you're the guy that really likes going to standards bodies, well, you're, you're, you're away, from, you know, away from headquarters. So, so the, the, um, uh, the, the uh, rewards are not aligned to the actual accomplishments that people might, might um, uh, pursue in these environments. So that's an area that, that needs attention from a resourcing perspective here, here in the U.S. So standards aren't, aren't necessarily um, uh, a thing in and of themselves because once a standard is, is produced, it's basically a guideline. You know, here's, here's how you should, you know, build this item. Um, NIST has um, standards. So uh, in the supply chain area, NIST has pr produced um, a, a, um, uh, a, a report. And if you print it out, it's like about 10 pounds. So it's like 10 pounds of security controls. So if you want to do supply chain risk management, it's a really good list of like 800 security controls. Um, I, I keep asking them to build a pop-up book because that's really what people need. They, they need a way to understand you know, what is in these controls and, and a way to, to get what they need from it really quickly. So standards, standards are guidelines and how you implement them and then monitor the implementation is, is sort of the, um, the follow through. So the standard is, is step one, but you need to have some follow through and it needs to be a team, a, a real team sport. Um, so when, when we talk about integrated risk reduction, we've also been working um, across the government. So we have um, uh, a, a number of um, uh, folks across the government who are looking at supply chain risk management. This is not a new concept in the executive branch. You know, um, several years ago, uh, you know, probably about 10 years ago, um, under the cyber initiative, there was an effort launched on supply chain risk management. And its time really wasn't right. So um, attention at that time really was focused on the government securing its perimeter. So government agencies needed you know, resources and tools and policies and people to be trained on how to harden their perimeter. Um, so okay, we've been doing that uh, for a decade now. So we're, we're good at hardening the perimeter. Uh, we're really good at hardening the perimeter. Well, the bad guy doesn't really care. The bad guy's going around the perimeter. The bad guy will recruit an insider or the bad guy will uh, subvert the supply chain. Um, in the last couple of years, there have been a, a number of supply chain attacks um, that have occurred where the software supply chain has been compromised. So companies who thought they had a trusted relationship with another vendor in a long-time business relationship would go to get updates from their trusted partner, um, and their trusted partner would have been exploited. And you'd get your update from your trusted partner, and you would get a little extra functionality along with that, with malware bundled in a software download. So these mechanisms of updating things um, that where malware comes in breaks the trust you know, so, so we don't look at trust differently, but we approach risk management um, more rigorously in, in, in these kinds of contexts in today's day and age. Uh, supply chain attacks are not new. Five years ago, you know, people couldn't come up with an example of a supply chain attack that wasn't you know, some kind of scary you know, food, food thing um, or, or some you know, scary pharmaceutical thing like um, uh, um, you know, counterfeit, counterfeit cancer, cancer medication. You know, that's a horrible thing. Uh, but counterfeits, counterfeits and um, yeah, th those types of things that were pushed into a supply chain were the examples we had five years ago. Uh, but in the last couple of years, you can point to numerous things that, go to the, um, that point to supply chain attacks as a choice that adversaries are pursuing, whether they're a nation state or an, an actual criminal, uh, criminal actor. And I think there was um, uh, the Mirai botnet 
um, was one that you know was tied to IoT as a as a way to exploit a little sensor that uh, most people would consider you know beneath contempt. But that's an attack vector. It's an it's an avenue for exploitation. So when we think about avenues for exploitation from a national security perspective, we think about how companies might be used as a threat vector. So when, when whatever you want to call, call this um, vendor vetting um, or um, due diligence, commercial due diligence, um, this is sort of the space that we're in. You know, how, how do we best understand um, that, the other party that we're doing business with? Um, we can look information up on them. You know, is there derogatory information in the public domain? There are a number of companies that actually excel in this particular space, data aggregators. Um, the state of the art has changed in, in this particular space where we have companies, um, you know, KPMG, Thomson Reuters, um, that are doing very novel things. So KPMG has a partnership with IBM Watson. So they're, they're you know, kicking the tires on cognitive computing um, to see if, if there, there are, are types of machine learning that can be applied to um, uh, rummaging through these vast amounts of commercial uh, data sources that they have for sense making. So, so one can, one can um, do more to understand an entity by a person with whom you're doing you know, uh, your, your business um, and, and do more research. So commercial due diligence is, is, a, is, is a baseline requirement and it, it should actually be robust commercial due diligence. Don't just see if they um, have a website. You know, do a little bit more, do a little bit more digging um, so when we, when we think about third parties, uh, we have had um, uh, some conversations in my organization with the private sector um, to, to kind of talk through with some, some firms. Um, if you're doing business with a third party and, um, you know, they're kind of sketchy, you know, they're just like, maybe there's a little derogatory information out there. And maybe, you know, they took some steps to kind of clean up their act. They fired somebody here and there. So, you know, I'm sure everything's fine. Well, when as a company um, do you decide, when do you get to know? You know, uh, how do you go from, yes, I'll do business with you very carefully, you know, with lots of, you know, special contract language and you know, attempts to hold you accountable, but what conditions will actually get you to say no? Um, sometimes I wonder if there are any conditions. You know, theoretically, you know, if there's malfeasance or the evidence of malfeasance, if someone's committed a crime, you probably shouldn't do business with them. That's, that's probably poor form. Uh, but what are the conditions? Do, do companies actually know what their risk appetite and do they know, um, no matter what information they have, are they still going to do business with that firm or not? You know, so so how, do, how do companies navigate that? So we're, we're having some conversations trying to think through, you know, is it, you know, can we come up with some core concepts? You know, do you, um, if you know that um, five bad things have happened, is that enough? Or does it have to be 500? You know, are there some are there some things that we can distill from these conversations to begin to inform government policy? You know, from from a, a procurement perspective, or from a regulatory perspective, um, or or just from a best practices perspective. It's nice to always point to best practices and say, well, you know, if you just follow industry best practices, that should be good enough. Um, but industry best practices in some cases aren't good enough. So so for certain use cases. You know, for national security purposes, do we need to actually, um, and I actually can't see that. Oh, it's a question mark. Oh, it's because it's really faint, faint, faint print. <laughs> um, so, so this is a conversation, with, and, and I'd actually turn this question over to you. You know, in, in, in your experience, um, you know, would you advise somebody to say no? So I'm, I'm, I'm uh, counseled to uh, open up for questions.
Thank you for listening to National Security Law Today. We're going to end this episode here, but to listen to the Q&A with Joyce Correll, Assistant Director of the Supply Chain and Cyber Directorate at the National Counterintelligence and Security Center, visit our website, americanbar.org slash natsecurity, or look for the link in the show notes. Tune in again soon for our next episode. Remember, listening to a podcast is informative, but social networking isn't really networking. Show up at one of our breakfasts or lunches, like this one you heard today, or at our annual conference. Don't miss the annual review of the Field of National Security Law Conference in Washington, D.C. this year, November 1st and 2nd. From all of us here, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. The views expressed on national security law today have not been approved by the House of Delegates or the Board of Governors of the American Bar Association and accordingly should not be construed as representing ABA policy.